Before we get back to today's show, here's a quick word from HubSpot. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like try to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron? Could it be Don or John or Sean? Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. And a full 360 view of every customer. So your go-to-market team can keep up on the pulse of accounts before trying to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means. Better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain, your podcast for all things growth, marketing, and entrepreneurship. As always, I am your co-host, Kit Bodner. I am joined by my fearless co-host, Kieran Flanagan, from across the pond in Dublin, Ireland. And we are especially lucky today because we have a very, very special guest. We are joined by Samaya Balboulet, who is the CMO at Sequoia. And so we're lucky enough to have Samaya here. Welcome, Samaya. Thanks for being on the show today. So excited to be here. Thank you, Kit. Well, and since you were here, Kieran and I were talking about, oh, wow, we, there's so much we could talk about with you. But we, we said, well, we kind of have to do the obvious, at least for your first appearance, and talk about marketing for startups. You are a marketer who works with startups every single day. And so what we're going to do for everybody listening on today's show is we're going to do marketing advice for every stage of your startup. So from seed stage all the way up to pre-IPO, we're going to cover how you should think about marketing, how you should think about investing in it, the strategies, the tactics, the people, all of those things to help you really scale and build your startup to be successful and make the dent in the universe that you want it to make. But before we get into startup advice, Samaya, I want to let everybody listening understand a little bit about you. What has your journey as a marketer been like in the world of tech startups? Like, how'd you get here talking to us and working at Sequoia, helping the world's best startups grow and scale? Thank you for asking. I actually started my career off in advertising. I originally wanted to be a documentary filmmaker because I loved the process of telling stories, but post-college ended up in advertising. And there got bitten by the bug of the magic of taking an idea and bringing it to life and bringing it to life in the world, but was always very interested in doing that with building a company. And so that's when the entrepreneurial bug first hit me. And I thought I wanted to start my own company, but it was sort of in this space of advertising. And so I went to business school, which was like actually the first sign that I probably was not going to start my own company. <laughs> and after that was introduced to Mark Laurie and Vinny Barrara, and they were the founders of diapers.com, which was a, a part of Quidsy, which had a bunch of different verticals. And we were ultimately acquired by Amazon, but that was my first foray into tech. I joined diapers.com pretty early, you know, before Amazon acquired us. You we were really delivering this exceptional experience for moms and parents with, with new kids and finding our wedge in the market of e-commerce before it was an Amazon game <laughs> fully. And I just loved the process of building companies and building connections with customers in that path. 
after Amazon, Mark went to start Jet.com and joined with him. And so from the very beginning, you know, before there was a brand or a business, was part of the, the early team there. And that was also just magical and fun. You know, how do you go after a behemoth and how do you build a brand from nothing? How do you get people to change their behavior and and turn to you? All of those challenges were super interesting to me. And so I spent a better part of 10 years in that space. And Jet was a rocket ship. We acquired 5 million customers in our first year. We were at a billion dollar run rate. And and coming off of that year of post-launch, Walmart showed up and acquired us. And so then moved inside Walmart and spent a good two and a half years at Walmart helping drive their digital transformation and leading e-commerce and digital marketing for both the walmart.com and for stores. And it was a fascinating experience. And then left that and ended up working with a bunch of different companies. I was working with a fintech company called Tally that was helping customers get out of consumer debt, a company Impera that was in the AI space and, and joined the board of Shake Shack uh, and was just enjoying sort of this challenge of driving connectivity between technology and, and people in ways that are more human and less transactional. And uh, along the way, bumped into Sequoia and that's how I am where I am now. And I think for everybody listening, that breadth of experience from being like a really early stage startup employee through getting acquired, working at a large scale, scaled up business is really what we want to talk about today. And you're literally the perfect person to, to chat with us about that. I really, really appreciate that. Before we get into it, though, before I hand it over to Kieran to start us off, I want to do one fun question. Sure. So... I don't know if you all saw this. I want to shout out HubSpotter and just general media mogul, our friend Sam Parr. But he pointed out that (laughs) the 90s and the 80s are making a big comeback with the TikTok generation. They love everything 80s and 90s. And there's a ton of brand marketing, creative things that are basically all 80s and 90s themed. So I wanted to know, as folks who I think remember some of the 80s and the 90s here, what was the the product, the thing, the theme from the 80s and 90s that should be get, get reimagined for the TikTok generation. And I will go first, since I had the bias of, of talking about this, give you guys a couple minutes. I want to bring back the Ron Popeil infomercial. <laughs> the Ron Popeil infomercial in like the early 90s, like the pasta maker, like all that stuff, if you were in the United States, was amazing. And I feel like we are missing the TikTok version of an infomercial. And I think it would be super well done, mm. super entertaining. I think you could do an amazing 20 second infomercial with all the technology that TikTok has. So I would love to see the Ron Popeil infomercial make a modernized comeback on TikTok and YouTube. I think I'm surprised you picked him over the OxyClean guy, the one that would like dump wine and... Yeah, Billy May is the OxyClean guy, yeah. He was pretty compelling. I mean, look, I'll be honest with you, the OxyClean was was my third choice. My second was, I would go back to the 80s with the laser wax people who had the car wax infomercial where they would try to light the cars on fire and everything. That was really compelling television that would, which you actually kind of see now some versions of that on TikTok and YouTube with those really quick videos, highly demonstrative kind of approaches to, especially like direct to consumer goods and everything. 
but I know OxyClean was a good one. That is burned into my memory. And I think similarly, <laughs> I was in the space of infomercials, you know, home network shopping, which was like a huge thing. Oh yeah, I've totally forgot about that. It feels like no one's cracked that yet. And TikTok seems to be like the perfect place to, to start. What's funny, right? You bring up a really good point. It's like, we have the distribution of home shopping networks without like the commerce half of it today. It just somehow hasn't worked. It's been very like individualized or influencer recommends one product, but you haven't gotten the entertainment value and the the whole show that is entirely around commerce nailed. How can I not watch an hour of short form videos that just try to sell me everything I would possibly love in this world? Yeah. It's shocking that doesn't exist, actually. Amazon do have kind of QVC, right? They do. Yeah. They do. But TikTok is the perfect platform for that, actually. It is. Everybody listening, when the three of us go and start our own home shopping network, you'll know yeah. where it started. Where the idea come from. Kieran, you grew up in Ireland in the 80s and 90s. What's something there that you would think should make a comeback for the nostalgia marketing movement that's happening today? Shell suits. <laughs> Do you guys know what shell suits are? Do you call a shell suit? There was kind of big track suits. Yes. Yeah. They were like really multicolors, like this kind of weird material, like very inflammable. <laughs> I remember when I got my first shell suit, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And when you look at them now, you're like, wow, you were just like a walk-in multicolored fire hazard. <laughs> so you're saying that, that you want to bring back some of the 90s fashion for different video ads and still ads, which is totally happening on TikTok. <laughs> One of the top TikTok influencers, like the Josh Richards guys, wearing like 90s, new 90s Seattle supersonics like hats and stuff because it's retro, but new. It's a wild world out there. I, I for one, you know, who lived through the 90s, the 90s weren't as awesome as you, as you people think. Just FYI. Also the greatest movie decade and movies that have actually predicted everything that was going to happen. Terminator got it, got it newly right. It's, it's coming right. You see the little snake crawling around in the bot. We're, we're going to be terminated. <laughs> Jurassic Park got it right. You see them bringing back. Did anyone see this bringing back the Tasmanian tiger? It's been a stink for a hundred years. They're, no. they're telling you like just 1990s movies. Kieran's seen, seen some weird stuff on the yeah. internet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So if, if you're listening and you want to share your 90s nostalgia with us, hit us up on Twitter. Everybody's handles will be in the show notes or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell us what aspect of the 90s you think should be included. And we'll shout some folks out on some future episodes. That being said, I want to get right to the meat of the show today, which is all about marketing advice for every stage of your startup. Kieran, I'm going to throw it over to you to get us kicked off. So I thought this would be a great subject, Samaya, to talk to you about. So we have divided this into C stage, Series A, B, and then Series C, D. And some of it comes from the experience we've had speaking to founders and what they ask us about. And obviously you have speak to founders all the times of different phases of companies. So when you talk to an early stage founder and they want to hire their first marketed hire, it's kind of funny what they want them to do. They're like, oh, I want them to define a brand new category. We need to be in the new category and we need to win that category. I need them to build like the next generation of demand gen engine. I need them to have Pulsar Prize <laughs> winning content. I, I need them to only hire the top 0.5% of the talent in the market, right? And on and on and on. And what we wanted to try to do is dig into what actually matters at each stage in terms of like marketing to go to market. And so if we start with the seed stage, how should a founder think about their marketing go-to-market priorities at that stage, what do they actually need a marketer to do? What do they need a marketer to be great at? I think there's a difference between what you need 
a marketer to do versus what type of marketing activity you need at that stage. Mm-hmm. I love this. So when you are really early, like pre-seed, depending on the type of company, of course, that you are a part of, you may not need a marketer, especially given the talent composition that might exist between you and a co-founder. And I always actually start with that. What are the capabilities of the founders themselves? Some have deep customer empathy. Some have absolutely no ability to empathize with customers. Some have a great design sense, which can be drawn upon. Others don't and are just deep technologists. And so if I reframe the question to what type of marketing activity is actually happening without you even realizing it's marketing, if you don't have a marketer in-house, I would focus that in on real customer problem definition, right? When you are at the seed stage, you don't yet have anything close to product market fit. And actually what we talk about is what you're trying to get to is more customer product fit. Mm-hmm. You don't have a, you're not even at the market stage yet. You're just trying to find whether your product and your customer are actually going to match together. Um, and so a lot of the conversations are that I have with early stage founders have to do with drawing out how deeply they understand the pain points that their customers are going through. And oftentimes it requires shutting down any hawking of their product or solution, right? It's stop talking about what you know you've already want to build or create, but how deeply can you understand what your customer's doing, all the workarounds they might be trying to grapple with, what they're trying to accomplish in life, what they're trying to get to, the full context of who they are such that your product then is is able to respond to that individual as a person. And and I think those are the fundamentals that I focus on. If I was going to build on that further, if you do have some additional traction there, I mean, I think that Seed Stage is a broad group. So if you are a little bit farther along with your product, it starts to become more of a positioning exercise, right, of trying to understand how you're going to try to position yourself relative in the mind of that customer. That involves like really digging into a company's purpose and its mission in terms of its product mission and what you're trying to accomplish and then figure out different ways to get a customer to actually respond and resonate with what you're selling. Yeah, for for everybody listening, I would tell a story that I think is emblematic of that. In the early days of HubSpot, you know, our two founders, Brian and Darmesh, were were doing just that. They were trying to figure out the pains customer have. And what would happen is Brian would go on customer calls and he would do a bunch of prep and he would go look at their website and he would figure out ways that they could improve it and understand, hey, well, this is how you could make your online marketing better. And here's some of the tools and products we're working on to do that. And the aha moment as it relates to marketing that happened there was the birth of one of the most successful growth drivers in the early stage of HubSpot, which was Website Grader. Darmesh, who was the technical co-founder, said, oh, I could actually automate all that manual research you're doing, Brian, and make it really easy for you. And then we can make that available to everybody so that they can get that information themselves without having to be on a call with you. And that's the type of marketing activities that happen at that really seed early stage where you find that customer pain and you find some way to deliver it at scale. And you take those kind of one-to-one conversations and find some way to bring it to the entire market. And I think that's what you're talking about, Samaya. Yeah. And, you know, you don't have to figure the scale part out. That's like the beauty of where you're at in that moment. Like you can try things that are absolutely ridiculous. You know, it's like that Airbnb, they were having trouble filling their marketplace in New York and driving adoption of the Airbnb listings in New York as they were trying to get it off the ground. And, you know, he went to New York and, you know, spent a couple of days across 25 different Airbnb listings, trying to figure out what the issue was and discovered, you know, oh, wait, you know what? If I took better photos of these places 
and help the spaces be positioned better, customers might actually make the booking. It's completely infeasible to think about sending a photographer everywhere and being the photographer and doing that. They found a scalable way to do it later, but it's those types of things or mining Craigslist, right? To find, find great properties. I mean, that is happening in a very unscalable way. And then you have to figure out if it works, what you might be able to do to scale it. But I think early stage companies often jump to scale too quickly. It's like, I, well, that'll never scale. And so I won't do it. And that's just like absolutely the wrong, uh, the wrong conclusion. That's a good point. Yeah. I was talking to a company very recently, actually this week, and they were pre-seed, moved to seed, and now they're really accelerating towards series A. They clearly have a great product. Like they have product market fit. They have a lot of people who want their product and it's working really well because they're quite differentiated in the market. And they were doing the, they were doing exactly what you said. Some is they were thinking, oh, look, we really need to start thinking about, we're going to move into our series A. We really need to start building scalable channels today. What should we start to think about in terms of scalable channels? And I was telling them like, is this working really well? Are you seeing it decline in, you know, you just response rates, you're getting less people onto these kind of demos, you converting less people. And they're like, no, it's working really, really well. I was like, just keep doing it. Like, don't worry about building all these kind of scalable long-term channels right now. If the thing you're doing works really well and you can build other go-to-market functions around it. The one thing I wanted to double-click on, because it forces Kip to uh, give his really controversial view on product marketing. <laughs> is, <laughs> yes, let's do this. Is uh, You mentioned positioning, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that's a good discussion point for founders because they actually all want a new category. They want to have a, you know, a real clear message and positioning, you would assume then their very first hire should be someone with product marketing skill sets that can help them do those things. Why don't you kind of give your perspective, Kip, on why product marketing is not <laughs> worth hiring? Kieran making me sound like I hate product marketing. I don't hate product marketing. For all the product marketers out there, I think it should just come at a later stage than most founders do. I believe your initial positioning and categorization needs to be very founder-driven. And, uh, you know, I think you can have a good early stage general purpose marketer who can support that and like help codify that and be the right sounding board. But I think if you're a five person company and you're bringing in a product marketer to build the category and positioning, one, it's too early. You're just trying to figure out how everything works together and what your customers really need. And so what you need to do is be clear on the long term vision and know, oh, I'm going to need product marketing eventually. Like. HubSpot started in 2006. We didn't really start doing product marketing in earnest for three years. The early stage was just like, oh, we're going to do this category creation thing called inbound marketing. And we're going to write a book as like the codification of that. That was basically product marketing. And I'm not saying that's right for every startup, but I don't think you have to go out and hire a product marketer right off the bat. And I think that is a next stage of your startup problem. Does anybody disagree with me? I don't disagree with you. Okay. I, I didn't know. It's it's it's, it's a somewhat conver- <laughs> controversial opinion. No, I, I personally agree with you. I mean, I, I think your early marketing hire just needs to wear multiple hats, right? And as again, it, it is a question of the capabilities that exist across the founder founding team and what you need then from that hire. But that's a different question. I, I find this like category def- definition thing from day one to always be quite frustrating. You know, we are very focused at Sequoia on finding category defining companies. We say it all the time and we are looking for companies with that kind of potential. But to say that from day one, Brian Chesky knew that he was going to upend all hoteling and travel mm-hmm. and is, is an absurd 
thought, right? And he was onto something interesting. Exactly. <laughs> it was a wedge and, and exploring that and understanding how customers were delighted by it or not delighted by it. He was able to continue to build a product that then became a category defining business. And so I think just the, the path from start to major market definition and impact is one that is filled with constant product cycles and build loops that yes. continue to get you there, but they don't, they don't happen in, in one straight line. And so that's why I always go back to, do you really understand your customer's problem? Because the deeper you understand the customer's problem, the wider your opportunity over time to understand how your unique solution today could solve the broader sets of problems that customer might have over time. And so again, we really just emphasize being an expert in the pain. If you're the expert in the pain, you see more than anyone else does. And you have to see the things that nobody else does. And if you become the loudest advocate for that pain, if you have a problem, who are you going to go to? The person who knows the pain best, right? And it's, so it's yes. really at that seed and early stage, that's what focus on. And so when I say positioning, it's not, I want to be, you know, belong at that stage. It's more about understanding and articulating yeah. your value proposition in the context of that customer and that pain and some unique difference that you can use to get started with your hypotheses. Because in the early game, it's all a bunch of hypotheses that you're testing and that's the mindset that you need, even from a marketing lens in, in, the, in the organization. Yeah. What you just said, I thought was brilliant and really important for everybody to understand. And I, I saw a tweet related to this this week from Sam Altman at Sam A on Twitter, co-founder of OpenAI. His tweet was, I'm still amazed how most startup investors are great at understanding that startups can grow exponentially, but don't understand that markets can too. The TAM is too small, has cost more startup investors more money than any other often repeated phrase I know. And that's exactly what you just said. Yeah. You're like, hey, I'm going to become an expert at the customer pain. And once I understand that customer, yeah. I'm going to be able to understand and evolve the market really, really well. And by the way, that also translates to marketing. You might do unscalable or small stage marketing stuff early on. It will grow. Or you might bet on an unproven marketing channel really early on that will grow and become huge. There's obviously risk in that. But to think that channels and markets don't grow over time is just ignorant in the evolution of how our society is evolving today. I'm going to share the mantra that Mark used to use, Mark Laurie used to use all the time when it came to this question. And it's a little, maybe it's a little aggressive, but it was literally find the vein. That was the mandate. Mm -hmm. Find the vein. Find the vein that you are going to be able to jam, you know, whatever type of adrenaline into that will open up the market. And so a little aggressive, and, and <laughs> but it really worked because that was essentially the thought. Like you can try to find the thing that, again, there might be ways to it that are unscalable right now. But once you see the customer react to it, based on what you've discovered in that there is so much insight and so many things that you can unlock. The focus is to find, find that magic. Right. And, and, and then, and then oftentimes things kind of build from there, but you have to take a lot of shots to get that. I love that. We're going to do a summary at the end of the show for everybody listening. I want to go on to the next stage of companies. This kind of series A, series B, you figured out the pain, you've gotten the customers reacting. Now what, you know, that's when you actually have to start doing some real marketing. What do you two think needs to happen at that stage? Where does marketing and growth need to focus? How do you get that company that now has kind of some very baseline product and go-to-market fit actually into a company that can scale? 
this is actually where I do hear a lot of the category creation come in around the series A and B. And I do think founders really misunderstand what it takes to create a category. Like your product has to be disruptive in some differentiated Mm -hmm. way to be able to create a category. You can't just take a better mousetrap business and build a bunch of fluff and try to make it into a different category. Mm. One of the things I try to help founders with at this point is what really matters because you're about to hire your first marketing leader, whatever you call that person, head of marketing, whatever you call it. You're going to build a team around a person and you have to try to figure out what really matters because most founders, they want a seasoned CMO who has worked at a public company because they want them to do all the things and they're trying to hire someone in at, at series A or B and you actually don't need them to do all of the things. You need them to be good at enough things to get you from where you are today to where you want to be in two years time. And then you would reassess if that person is the right person then to bring you to CD in public. And so I try to shorten the length of time they're thinking about. And then you use that model we've talked about before, Kip, which I think is it just breaks into two core parts. Am I distribution constrained? Do I need to build a go-to-market motion that will actually help me to expand the amount of demand and monetize that demand into customers? Or is my biggest constraint the influence and perception of my company within the market? And the reason I think that's important is because when you're hiring a marketer in that A or B stage, like maybe CMOs who have been at larger companies and have been a little bit more seasoned, they, they've done both those things. They've built an incredible demand engine. They've built a category. They've done a lot of brand work. I think marketers you tend to hire at this A or B will be good at one of those things and okay at the other. And I think trying to figure out what your biggest constraint in is the first thing to think through when you're hiring that marketing leader. And then you can go out and start to figure out who, who is the right person. What do you think about that, Samaya? And what, what do you see as some of the most common mistakes? Yeah, I think you've shared some of them already. I think one is hiring too senior at this stage yeah. or, or bringing in someone who is strategic but can't roll up their, their sleeves and get things done. And, you know, that's probably the biggest one. It's like that search for the unicorn that takes nine months and then it's not the right fit. And you've just lost a year, right, in that process. So that's probably the biggest. Yeah. And so I, I similarly, I think to you, just suggest take the pressure off. Be very, very clear about what your marketing and business goals are for the next 12 months. You're hiring for that period of time, right? Yes. And hopefully that individual will scale and become somebody who can continue to build the organization and the function and, and the business, right? Yes, exactly. It's okay if they can't. <laughs> and so that that is kind of the constant, the reminder of just go, go back to what your objectives are and the, the mission of the role for the next 12 to 18 months, the objectives and the key outcomes that you're shooting for, and then develop a spec that helps you optimize for the P1 associated with that. Yes. The other thing that I sometimes see is this mindset of, we tried that, it didn't work. And the thing that companies often forget, especially in that early stage, and you've crossed the chasm and you have some kind of product market fit, you're trying, you know, now you're just trying to develop traction. You're trying to develop some form of repeatable sales motion or some form of repeatable marketing motion. And you know, it's like, I tried that. It didn't work. Or I did. And, and people just shut off channels. They shut off messaging. They don't think about the fact that one, your bet, your business is evolving rapidly month to month, if not alone week to week. So your value proposition is changing. Your experience is changing and things that may not have worked in circumstances and contexts, you know, three months before may still work again. So don't be quick to throw those things out. And related to that, 
being very clear about what you're testing. So a channel may not work because the messaging was off, right? A ch- you know, a, the messaging could have been amazing, but it didn't drive certain conversion, which means you were missing a channel to drive the thing all the way through. And so you really, it starts actually becoming this set of Lego bricks that you're playing around with. And, and I just find that sometimes people are too quick to toss things out because they've done it. And at this stage, you haven't done anything. Ooh. And it's that reminder that it is, it you know, it's constantly changing and, and, and keeping that culture alive on the team, I think is quite critical. Yeah. One of the things I'm curious to get both your takes and when I think through at that stage, you're trying to hire someone and you have this kind of, when I think about it, there's a two by two in terms of, in terms of the candidates that they've sold really hard problems. Like you have problems higher, higher, low. And then on the other axis, there's experience like perfect fit to unperfect fit. Like they've basically, they've seen the story before, right? Like that's, that's what everyone wants to, to hire. And I think founders really obsess on the have, you know, they've done the exact thing before, right? And I think in some, there's certain experiences that do matter. I think there's a multitude of examples, but I'll give you one example where if you are like a, a B2B company that has a large TAM and are trying to market to a broad set of companies like SMBs and mid-market versus you're a company that's very much trying to market to 2000 companies, that that's your list. That's who you're trying to market to. Mm-hmm. Those two t- types of marketing leaders, I think are very different, right? I think that the the first marketer gets bored trying to market to a, a list of 2,000 and the person who markets to a list of 2,000 can't do the S&B mid-market role. But aside from that, marketing is not rocket science. <laughs> it is not rocket science. <laughs> Kieran, don't let the secret out. If you're talking to someone and they've solved hard problems, I don't think they need to have done everything you want them to do. Like they'll figure it out. And I think that people miss great candidates and spend, I know a startup who spent like 18 months trying to find the perfect CMO They'll miss out on good candidates because they're trying to overemphasize that seeing the exact thing before. Especially in this stage, if I, if I could plus one that I would say, don't hire from competitors because you're going to get the worst people from them and you're gonna, it's going to dilute your talent base. <laughs> it's true. It's just true. This is, I'm just trying to be honest with everybody out there. The other thing you're going to do is you are going to think experience de-risks outcomes way, way more than it does. And it does not. Mm -hmm. It does not do that. Aptitude de-risks outcomes more than experience. And matching skills with the problems you're trying to solve de-risks outcomes and and it increases your chance of success. If, If you think because somebody has done something before, they can do it for you, that may or may not be true. But you need to dig in on a whole different list of questions, which I, Kieran, I think you did a great job outlining to actually know and understand that. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I think at this stage also, I mean, again, you're at the, we we're talking about the mid-series A, series B stage. Your market, the, the problem with the unicorn type of hire, this person that's done everything and seen everything before, is that there's a misunderstanding that marketing is one thing. It is many, many, <laughs> yes. many different things. And uh, no one individual possesses all of the things exceptionally mm-hmm. well that marketing is required to do. Yes. And so I, I tend to bias towards, and this is even what I did at Jet, was rather than one individual, think about the composition of a team as a Petri dish, right? You want to have the really creative empath along with the analytical growth hacker, uh, you know, along with the product technical, like marketer type, all colliding to create a massively better organism. And you'd almost rather invest in these athletes and these, you know, people with high aptitude kip, as you described, who are going to intersect with one another in a way that creates the outcome that you want. And so if you're the founder or if you're the head of marketing in that situation, even though you may not 
I've seen everything before. The goal is really to create a process and a type of way of operating that allows for those to collaborate productively as opposed to antagonistically. And so like, that's also an area of core focus, which Mm -hmm. is, is, you know, don't, these are the moments where people start asking the questions of should product marketing sit in product? Should customer research be like its own division with analytics and data? Should like, is brand its own thing? And maybe if there's a way that you're structured your organization such that that would work, Okay, but generally it's you you could pick a structure, but you need these people to all work with each other because it, it's all connected. It's a series of handoff after handoff after handoff right. that creates a flywheel. And so I really, you know, the, the question of who to hire and how to hire for me always comes back to how do you want your organization to work? What is what are those mechanisms of communication and collaboration? And if those are strong, you can structure it in a lot of different ways. Yes. And it also takes the pressure off hiring this like unicorn instead hire the combination of people that are going to create the unicorn collectively, right? And that's not to say at some point you, you need the CMO to come in at some point, but it's later in my mind than it is, you know, right at that earlier stage. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're about to go to that next stage where that becomes really important. But I want to talk directly to the founders for a second and say, there's a sliding scale of maximizing upside and reducing risk. The earlier stage your business is, the more you're responsible for maximizing upside and the less you're responsible for reducing risk, right? When you're a public company CEO, you have to really care about risk. And there's a lot of things that can really damage the enterprise value of your business. When you're a series A, series B startup, you should obsess about maximizing value. And you do that by Picking people have high aptitude, different skill sets versus trying to bet on safe people who have done it. That being said, I want to transition now into kind of that Series C, Series D marketing leader where things get real. It is scaled. You're going to go public in a couple of years. Things are happening. And one of the biggest things that person has to be able to do is hire. Yes. You know, you go from somebody who's a a domain expert in marketing to somebody who's a domain expert in marketing and an amazing executive recruiter. That to me is one of the core biggest skill sets that happens in that later stage startup world is somebody who can really go out there, find the best focused talent, whether it be for brand, product marketing, whatever you need in your organization make that happen and understands that there's no perfect org structure, but can understand the constraints of the organization and build a working org structure for the next 12 to 18 months of that specific company and organization. Do you all agree with me on this? Kind of as you scale up in that C and D, bringing in a marketing leader who may level of experience is going to be subjective, but where their expertise in hiring is much stronger than it would need to be in an earlier stage company. That's right. I mean, I think that for me, there's probably three things in that hire that I pay attention to. There is, you know, what you're talking about hiring. It's like, do you, do good people want to follow you? Yes. Is always a great question, right? And your ability to draw that in is a testimony to you as a leader. And and at that stage, you are not hiring a head of marketing or CMO as just a functional leader. They are an organizational leader. And so your hat, you know, it just tips a little bit where, you know, that ties to the second thing, which, yeah, can you bring good people with you? But can, are you hiring someone that understands the business that is not so functionally focused or narrow in their thinking that they cannot be a holistic business partner to you around understanding the mechanics of how your business works? Because part of what makes a great marketer at that stage is that you can step outside of it and you can see the full 
motion of what has to happen for the business to be successful. And that sparks ideas, that sparks optimizations, all these things that tie to the business at hand. Because at that stage, you haven't yet scaled. You've found a repeatable marketing motion. You have traction, but you might have hit a ceiling. You need to open up new markets. You need to be on that path where this could be a public company. This could be an enduring business where there's new pockets of customers to unlock. There's additional opportunity to, to grow. So there's a level of creative expansion that has to happen. And that ties to the third, which is risk-taking. I actually think part of the role of a CMO at that stage, if you're saying the, C- the CEO has become maybe a little, has to, has to manage that risk a little bit more, you still need the DNA in, in the org to say, hey, let's take a bold risk into this direction, right? And that can come out of the marketing department, you know, come out of a lot of different teams. I think it has to, I think it's most likely should come out of marketing. I think marketing is yeah. the team that's best positioned to take risk as you scale. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to look at like Klarna, which is one of our portfolio yes. companies. And, you know, they hired an amazing CMO who took them in a completely unexpected direction, right? You, you went from, you know, you got this pink and black brand and aggressively going after consumers. And and so it's just, you know, he, he did an exceptional job, but he was able to say, hey, this is where we need to go and, you know, bring the bring the team along to get there. So yeah, it, I think it's a combination of those three things. It's like a, a, a mindset that's beyond the function that's business oriented, the signal that this person can bring, bring great things with you and the capacity and appetite for risk. It'll push you to do the things that are unproven that you need to do to unlock a, a larger start size of the market in, in an effective way. And this is a, I think at this stage, experience truly does matter, but that experience is scale. There's just a different problems you have to manage when you truly have to scale. Like when I talk to companies that are trying to find a new marketing leader or CBO at this stage, it's because the current marketer cannot scale the team and cannot scale the go-to-market. Yes. Yeah. They haven't done it before. Like they joined at an early stage, they've done really well, but then they just are not able to scale that team. They're not able to scale go-to-market and you have to take much more risk on to do new things. And then it's, you have to put your whole kind of social capital within the company behind those things. Like it's why the average CMO life is probably 18 to 24 months, because you Mm -hmm. actually have to do really hard things. And those hard things have to be right. And I think that that experience of scale, that experience of being able to bring the CEO, the founder, the exec team with you, being able to actually do risky things. Like most people want to sit in the middle and peanut butter everything because it's like, inherently easier to, to do that than then to say these two things are the only two things that matter. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the funny like tweet that I send it. Maybe someone else said, maybe you sent it, Kip, was like the, the, the average CMO 18 months is come in, spend the first six months getting to know the current team and blame the outgoing CMO for how terrible everything is, rebrand and fix the website, <laughs> and then leave and do it again somewhere else. And that, ta- that whole process takes 18 months. And, you know, you want someone to come in and go, okay, like, these are the only two things that matter. And it's not fix the website and change the colors of the website. Although that can be, it sounds like in the case of Klarna, that that was part of their repositioning and it sounded like that was a market pivot. So I think that, I think experience matters at that stage, but it's the scale part. It's really, have, has that person been through scale before and knows what that means? One of the things that happens when you're in a larger organization, and I experienced this as both jet scaled and then inside Walmart, right? Where you go from suddenly a 2 million person organization and it's completely nuts. When you're in early stage and into that mid stage of a company, you're still, you're still a scrappy org. 
you're still like very much, you know, trying to get by with as little as possible, make as much impact with as little as possible. And actually that's DNA that you want to have continue in your organization for perpetuity, for sure. In order to crack that next level of scale, you have to be willing to make the big ask for the resource to hire a certain type of person or for the creative bet on a new campaign or for Mm. the tech investment in something that is going to open up scale and capacity. And it's a shift. It's a shift from let me make do with what I have to I need X million dollars or X hundreds of thousands of dollars because I need to do that to be able to get that thing. And that's actually why the average tenure is also very short, because if you make that wrong bet, you just burned a bunch of money and you're out. Yeah, you're out. You're right. But it is this it, there's almost this this thing that you have to do, which is you put more chips on the table because you have to try to find that next that next opportunity that is about asking for resources. And that's actually the biggest reason why a lot of marketers don't continue to scale up, even though they've been so good all along. It's just they get stuck in in where they are rather than yeah. stepping outside of themselves and sort of saying, okay, if you want me to get, climb that next mountain, this is what I'm going to need. Yeah. Right. Versus you, this is what you've given me. And that's the leadership shift that happens. And generally someone with experience is the one who's able to say, this is what it's going to take versus this is what you've given me. And I just, I don't know what to do with this. Right. So that's another piece of it. Yeah. And if if you're playing blackjack, right. You bet the same amount every hand math will just say the house will win. Yeah. Right. And that's the point you're making is if you don't actually take a few big bets and big investments in those key areas, then you're going to lose anyway. Like even just, just dragging yeah. the spreadsheet, you're, you're going to lose. So you might be out if you make some of the wrong bets, but you're going to be out anyway. Right. So <laughs> as, as a marketer. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why it's such a, it's a hard hire for the founder or CEO too, because this person's going to ask for something and you're going to have to be able to say yes to it or no to it. Yeah, and, and generally, if you're going to say no, you're going to cobble them in some way. But if you are saying yes, you kind of have to trust them and they might fail, so which is like tough. So it's a it's a it's definitely a hard hire and it's definitely a hard role to be successful at. Completely agree. We are we are running short on time for today's episode. This has been an amazing discussion. I think we'll, we'll definitely want a round two of this at some point in the future. But my summary here, just for everybody listening, is when you're an early stage company, it's about finding that customer pain. It's about getting kind of that very basic level positioning, doing unscalable things to getting to get some idea of where that go to market product fit might happen. And you can probably get by with a general all purpose marketer who can kind of support a host of different things. As you start scaling up and you get into that series A, series B, oh, that's where you have to start finding some scale. You have to find some repeatable, you have to have a designed year go to market, but you can't do everything. You have to focus on the core two to three marketing strategies that are actually gonna get you through that stage. And you're, and you're planning 12 to 18 months. You're not planning five years out. And I thought that was a, an amazing piece of advice by Sumaya. The scaled business side of this, the Series C, Series D, while you're looking for a proven marketing leader who can go and hire amazing talent, build and organize a team, take real bets that are going to transform that business into a scaled business that can be a public company. And then those are the core delineations between each of those stages. I think this was an amazing conversation. I can't wait to do it again. Uh, I appreciate appreciate both of you joining and being on the show. And thanks to everybody listening. Until next time, this has been Marketing Against the Grain. <laughs>